Welcome to Ashes with Ash, a storytelling podcast from your tobacconist community, bringing you stories of life behind the cigar. Join me on this adventure to find the coolest cigar lounges, smoke some lovely cigars, and seek out the most incredible stories from our cigar lounge friends, owners, and customers. Let's tap into these untold stories with a little smoke and ash. Episode 14. We made it, you guys. Today, my dad and my grandfather and my mom's side of the family are here to tell everybody my family history with cigars. Um, I hope you guys don't mind the first part we recorded outside because my dad lives on a big, beautiful farm and that's all we do is sit outside. But you can hear the crickets in the background. I hope you guys find it as relaxing as I do. (laughs) I hope you all enjoy the episode. Be sure to look on Instagram. I'm going to be posting pictures that we talk about during the episode. I hope you all enjoy it. Um, But first, (laughs) how about a random little clip that I got of just a casual, normal conversation with my cousin Crystal and crazy Aunt Nancy. You did a podcast with your dad? Yeah. To like the family history of it. All the way back Perhaps. to all the so way like back the 1800s. To... Really? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Your titties come out the side of your shirt out of the arm out of your armpit. Just take it it's out. Not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> did did so she now, have a, a what do you call it? Uh, did she have a hit before I got here? No, no. I've had a lot of whiskey. <laughs> I have never heard you talk so much, Ashley. She's in a my podcaster life. now. It's what she does. I'm a podcaster. I like to ask questions. <laughs> All right, Dad. First, what are you smoking? Oh, I'm smoking a 80th anniversary Padron 1926. Beautiful. Yeah. How is it? It's nice. Just lit it, but I have no doubt it will be good. Yes. I'm smoking a Romeo and Julieta. Short Churchill. Cuban. It's falling apart a little bit, but you're right. <laughs> it's got some age to it. So. Perfect. Been sitting in the humidor a while. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell us the family history. Oh my, that's a loaded question. That's a, that's a big story. Where should we start? <sighs> I guess start at my great 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 grandfather, which would be your great 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 grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> When we were doing some uh, studying our family history, and we found that, you know, some of our family told us we came from Germany, but I wanted to get a more specific time frame, you know, because they led me to believe that it might have been in the early 1900s. So I got an ancestry account and started doing research and kept on going way, way back. Got back to the 
mid-1700s and still couldn't find where our family came from, Austria, Germany, you know, wherever they said we came from. But some of the interesting things I found as I was doing that research was I found that our family lived um, northwest of Philadelphia in an area right near Allentown, Pennsylvania. And they farmed. And they farmed for a number of years. I have no idea how large the farm was, but I found records, you know, dating back to, well, in 1864, I found a record where uh, Jacob Ott sold 80,000 cigars that year. And that's right when I had just started in the cigar business. And I just thought that was the most fascinating thing to think that our family was selling cigars, you know, in the, in 1864. And, you know, you always wonder why you have this affinity for cigars. Well, it's most likely, I think it might be part of the blood. Yeah. <laughs> so. I believe it. I'm really fascinated by that history in Pennsylvania from our family because I really want to do more research. And in fact, I'd love to reach out and see if, you know, maybe some local people have some more history on that area because, you know, they were making cigars and selling them back in the, you know, mid 1800s. And I think it was really the precursor to, to general cigar quite possibly because general cigar had a, real large factory in that area and I I just wonder how much of that local production that General may have you know taken up to run their factory there and I know they were there for years and years but I'd really love to know you know if our family might have been a precursor to that whole industry you know cigar or General Cigar really changed the face of cigars in America. Because back in that time, in the 1800s, there were thousands of brands of cigars. And they were more local brands. They weren't, there were, were no real national brands at the time. Right. And so one of the things that General did was consolidate all of that and really created national brands rather than all these local brands. And they did it really through advertising, you know, by creating these brands and then marketing those brands. Yeah. And so, you know, way back then, Pennsylvania was like the number three uh, state in the nation for tobacco production, which is really fascinating. And that's where we were. Oh, yeah, and, and that's where really all revenue for the federal government came from. You know, over a third of the revenue for the federal government came from tobacco tax. Yeah. And so it's just I'd love to know more about that time in history, yeah. you know, and how our ancestors might have played a part of, of right. you know, creating one of the biggest brands today. Yeah, so if any listeners out there know anything about General Cigars and where they came from, Message me on Instagram. We got to know. So our family was in Pennsylvania when they started tobacco. So they grew it. Did they roll their own cigars or did they just sell them? Do you know? I really don't know. 
I just found the tax records from the IRS where they had to pay tax. Wow. You know, and they had to pay tax on 80,000 cigars that year. And How it, much was it, that? Well, I, I don't remember. We've got we've got the document. It okay. wasn't a lot. But, you know, if you think back then, $100 was a lot of money. Yeah. And I think it was like $111, I'm not sure, uh, of tax that they paid. But it was on cigars. It wasn't on tobacco. Oh, like chewing tobacco and cigarettes? Yeah, that would have been different. Wow. So it was literal cigars that they paid tax on. So if they paid tax on cigars... Somehow they had to make them. Right. I don't know how, I don't know if they used, you know, large local crews to do it, or I have no idea. But I'd love to know more about, you know, how they did it back in those days. Yeah, exactly. And in Pennsylvania in general, I'd love to know the history of Pennsylvania and why it's so different now. Because it's not really, Pennsylvania isn't really a big tobacco place now as it used to be, right? No, no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Connecticut is mm. still, you know, the it's Connecticut close. Valley. And really, see, General controlled all of that land in, and still does to this day in Connecticut, you know, where the, where the light wrapper is made. Right. Um, but, yeah, you don't see tobacco production going on today. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so, you know, moving forward a bit, you know, my great-grandfather always... He was more of a pipe guy. He smoked mm. a pipe as long as I knew. And he he lived to a, be about 96, I think, is when my great-grandfather passed away. But he never gave up his pipe until he had to go into the nursing home and no. they wouldn't let him take it with it. <laughs> and uh, my grandfather is when... My grandfather, I never remember a time when he didn't have a cigar. <laughs> he always smoked cigars. Smoked cigars in the car, in the truck, in the house. So like all day long. All day long, nonstop. <laughs> had three or four cigars in his pocket. Always, always had a cigar. And so... Then, of course, my father, your grandfather... Mm-hmm. Um, he loved cigars as well. And in fact, he was our first real employee when we opened our first cigar shop. And he ran it for years and really created that environment, that, that social club, you know, that made our cigar shops what they were. Yeah. The first lounge. The first cigar lounge we opened was in... 2009. Yeah. And the name of that was City Place Cigar. That was located in Lynchburg, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And how long did that, how long was that shop open? That was open until I got out in 2016 is when I sold to my partner at the time. Right. And then you got the second shop two years later? Yeah, two years later in the spring of 2018 is when we opened Pap's Cigar Lounge. Yeah. What was the, why did you open the first shop and the second shop? Was there a difference in reasoning why you wanted to open? Yeah, the very big difference. I mean, the first shop we opened because the shop that was there went out of business. Oh, yeah. And it was a decent business, but... Uh, who knows what happened, but it came to a point where they had no inventory. They had literally no cigars 
that they could sell. And I don't know what happened to the revenue, but there wasn't revenue for him to buy cigars, so he went out of business. And it was basically a turnkey operation in that the lounge was already existing. Humidor was there. There was no inventory, but all it took was inventory to open up and take over the lease. So that's what we did. Nice. Was that the same issue with the second lounge? Second lounge, same thing. Same thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, the owners of the second lounge were struggling, you know, financially to make it. And uh, so, you know, we decided to go ahead and open our second lounge. And same situation. It was a great business, but no cigars. Right. So we built that business up starting in 2018. So what was your vision when you first opened up that lounge or even thought about it? You know, I had always enjoyed cigars, but quite honestly, I think the the cigar business, especially the retail cigar business, is completely different. It's not selling cigars. Yeah. It's creating a social atmosphere. Right. To me, that's what makes a cigar lounge is the social atmosphere. Right. And that's really what your grandfather did. When we opened that first shop, and our second shop was named for him, Pap Cigar. Mm -hmm. And he was the face, and he was the inspiration for that second lounge. To create that social environment where people get together. And we also happen to sell a lot of cigars. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like a social aspect and somewhere to hang out and talk to people. And then you just happen to sell cigars yeah i mean cigars is what binds everybody together right and cigars is what you know our excuse is to go get away for an hour or so right or two hours or three yeah um but really it is the social connection that's made in that lounge that makes all the difference and pap grew like a following from the first lounge was that a big reason why it was named after pap yeah, that was part of it for sure. Um, there were guys that came in regularly, and we even had guys that, for various reasons, would would stop smoking. Oh gosh! But they would still come to the lounge because that's where you went to hang and meet and talk and and uh, and so yeah, there was definitely a very large following that Pat created, right. and he created this environment of just openness. You know? Yeah. And that's what is there today. Right. Do you think Pap started smoking because of his dad, your grandfather? Oh, cigars for sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question. And, uh, yeah, he uh, he loved cigars. His favorite was the Perdomo. Um Oh, the champagne? Yeah, the I think it was Perdomo champagne, champagne yeah. was Dad's favorite cigar. Yeah. You know, I, you know, he, he loved his Padron. Right. But, you know, for an everyday cigar and one of his favorite go-tos would definitely be the champagne. Yeah, that's a good one. Do you ever think of opening more? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've thought about it. We've talked about it. The here's the biggest problem in doing it is you have to have the person that creates the social atmosphere right 
and how do you hire and find that person? Yeah. And that's probably what's kept us from opening more shops. We think we can be successful. We think there's other markets that definitely need our kind of shop. We just struggle in trying to figure out who would be that person right. that would lead that shop. So that's really kept us from expanding. Yeah. Um, so who knows? Maybe one day. Would you expand out of Lynchburg? Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would st- try to stay close, you know, for management reasons. But um, yeah, Lynchburg has got enough. You know, there's two shops in Lynchburg, and there's plenty. You know. Yeah. So, what's your favorite part about Pap Cigar Company? What makes you all unique? Well, I think what makes us unique is really, you know, my partner, Rick mm-hmm. Smith, yeah. who has taken Pap's place since Pap passed. Right. And Rick is the social the social gatherer at the new shop. And right. he has created this environment, you know, that is basically a duplication of what your grandfather did. Right. And he's created this wonderful setting, you know, for the shop to continue in the way that it always has. Right. You know, everyone loves talking to Rick. I know sometimes when I worked there, there were a few people that would come in, like on their lunch break or after work or something, and sometimes they wouldn't even smoke. They would just come talk to Rick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was funny. And from a business perspective, Mm -hmm. when Rick takes vacation, sales go down. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. (laughs) I mean, it makes a difference. Yeah. And that's why... I'm so nervous about trying to replicate it right? because you've got to have that person. Right. You've got to have that personality that's welcoming, that's open, and that makes every single person feel important and makes every single person feel comfortable. Exactly. And comfortable in hanging out and talking. And that's what, that's what, in my opinion, that's what makes our shop work. Yeah. And the right person to help you find the right cigar. He's really good at that, too. Yeah. 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 He sure is. So, another thing, like, about Pap Cigar Company, another couple unique things that I found, like, I know is the private cigar lounge, 24-hour access, and you yourself renovated that entire place, and you built the humidor, right? How big is that humidor? <laughs> well, the, the walk-in is, I think it's about 50 feet long. Yeah. Um, all glass. The outside is all mahogany. The inside mm-hmm. is Spanish cedar because I was pretty um, a purist when it comes to, you know, a humidor. Right. And so I built it because I can't imagine what I would have had to pay someone to build it to how I wanted it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I just built it myself. And I don't know, it's 50 feet long and maybe 8 feet wide, but I don't know how many sticks we have in there, but oh I would gosh. guess there's probably, oh, I don't know, 400 facings in there. Yeah. And it it is so packed that you can hardly walk in there now. I know. <laughs> well, when we first started, you guys ordered like 5,000 different cigars. I mean, of course, it varies in size and everything like right. that. Right, right. 
And you have more humidors in there now, just in the lounge, like separate humidors. Well, right? yeah, that's what happened. We When we filled up the main humidor, yeah. we had to, oh, I don't know, we've got one, two, three, four, five, I don't know, maybe probably six or seven additional humidors <laughs> yeah. now um, just to have enough room for everything we like to offer. Yeah. That's crazy. So tell us about the private lounge. How long did it take to build that part? Because that wasn't there before the old shops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the building we're in is really kind of a fascinating building. Yeah. Um, we know we're in downtown Lynchburg, and so we know that the building itself dates to the late 1800s is when it was built. Right. And we even found records that at one time it was a wholesale cigar sales in the building oh. that we're in now. Oh, that's right. I mean, it's unbelievable. Lynchburg was actually a huge cigar town. Right. Not just tobacco. I mean, there were tobacco warehouses and curing and all of that in downtown Lynchburg. But I think at one time there were, I want to say, 20 or 30 cigar companies in downtown Lynchburg making cigars. And so the building itself for a number of years was a jewelry store. And uh, somebody bought it and cleared out the jewelry and they turned it into a cigar shop. Yeah. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure exactly how long it was a cigar shop, but it was it was a long time. Yeah. And, but it really didn't have a lounge, you know, it didn't have, only half of the building had ever been finished. Oh. So half the building was really just retail cigars. Yeah. There were two or three chairs for a lounge, but it was not a social thing. In the back was just absolute disaster. There was this huge boiler in the back that took up one entire room just about, and all the air conditioning systems were back there, and everything, everything was peeling off the walls. It was a wreck. I mean, you didn't even want to go in there. Yeah. But when we bought the shop, we gutted it, the front part, Mm -hmm. that was always the cigar lounge, and we redid it. And like I said, we built the humidor, we uncovered the floors, which we found these beautiful (laughs) kind of pink and green marble tile floors that were just unbelievable. And my wife came in and helped. We, We... exposed a lot of the original brick you know took some of the plaster off the walls to expose the brick and you know just decorated it in a way that we thought a lounge would be and as soon as we got that done then we moved to the back yeah and i don't know how long it took (laughs) oh my goodness it was a mess It, it was a total wreck especially the back patio yeah and so what happened was there were two rooms in the back that we wanted to be a private lounge. So there were two rooms. Then there was this outdoor area. When you went out the back, there was this outdoor patio. But it was absolutely, it had three feet of dirt piled up from years and years and years. And there was no access back there either. There There was no way to get to it other than going all the way through the shop. So 
Once we finished the two rooms, we went to work on that patio, and there was no way to get equipment in there, and there was no way to get the dirt and the trash out. So we literally, by hand, filled five-gallon buckets, and I built a ramp. Ooh. And we carried three feet of dirt in a patio. I don't know. It was probably... 35 feet wide by 20 feet deep. I can't imagine how many tons of dirt we carried out of there five buckets at a time. How long did that take? <laughs> oh my goodness, it took weeks. <laughs> it took weeks up and down that ramp and dumping the dirt. And when we got down, we found that there was concrete down there. There was an actual patio down there. Now, there were perfect. pieces of it missing, but yeah. we used a lot of it. In the existing patio that's there now. And we just re-poured the areas that were too damaged to use. Put drainage in and all that. But, I mean, it was an unbelievable task. And this ramp that we built, you know, it was just a temporary ramp mm -hmm. that we built <laughs> to carry this stuff out. We, <laughs> we had little cleats on it, you know, for your feet to catch. Because oh, if right. it was wet, you I know, you'd that. slip. Yeah. yeah. And the very last day. The very last day, one of the guys that was working with us, Ben, oh, yeah. we were carrying up the very last thing. And there were these huge rocks that got left. And so we're carrying these rocks up. And it took two people to carry them. And we got to the top. We threw the rock off, uh -huh. you know. And the whole <laughs> thing collapsed <laughs> while we were on it. <laughs> And I mean, it dropped. Luckily, neither of us was hurt. Oh, my gosh. That was it. It wasn't put up again. We were done. Okay, good. Of course, then we built steps, built steps and everything yeah. to come in and, you know, all that. But, yeah, it was quite a feat. And that Jeez. patio today is truly an unbelievable place. Yeah. And so what it oh, did was it created a rear entrance right. so that our members can have 24-7 access. We've got a code on the back door, so when you join, you know, you can come in anytime you want. And we have a, we have two big lounges. One is like a conference room, so if you want to have a meeting with screens and all that, you can do that. And we have a bathroom and a little kitchenette there. So it's a really nice place for, you know, yeah. to get away. And that's just the private lounge. And then there's yeah. a whole lounge in the front yeah. that anybody can sit in. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the front lounge, I don't know. We probably hold, you know, it's all leather chairs and, you know, very nice accommodations. And I would guess, I don't know, 20, 30 people easily. Yeah, for can, sure. Can be out there. Mm -hmm. So did you get your ideas for the layout of the lounge and the decorations from other cigar lounges? Or was it just your own vision? Well, I I would have to say it's a combination yeah. of things. But really, you know, a lot of it was my wife, Connie. Yeah. You know, with the, She's an artist. Yeah. I mean, her vision, she can see things that I can't see. Right. I mean, I can, I can figure out how to build it. You know, I can figure out where the walls should go, how the layout should be for flow. But when it comes to figuring out what it should look like, I am lost. And yeah. that's just, that is her art. So all of the images, you know, in the shop, the colors, everything 
you know, she yeah. just had a vision for. And I think she knew kind of how we wanted it right. uh, to a certain extent, but she was able to just make it come to life in a way that I could never do. Yeah, exactly. So how did COVID come about? How did that affect the lounge or did it at all? Well, it was, that was a scary time. I mean, I think it was scary for everybody because if you had a business, especially a retail business, you had no idea what was going to happen. Right. And it was frightening. Our our situation was very complicated and compounded because we were in downtown Lynchburg. Yeah. And they decided that it was time to tear up our streets. Right. And they came through and completely destroyed the whole Main Street in downtown Lynchburg. Yeah. Destroyed the entrance to our shop. Yeah. There were like fences up and everything. Oh, yeah. There was no parking. There was no way to get there. You had to park blocks away and walk down. And all of this right when COVID hit. Right. And we were convinced that it was going to kill us. Yeah. It would just Because you were it. new, too. Oh, yeah. We're a fairly new business. Yeah. We have no entrance. You can't get there. You can't park there. And COVID on top of it. You know, so we immediately, as soon as it happened, you know, we built online an online store yeah. so that we could deliver to our customers that couldn't get down there. Right. And it's, what's funny is we built that online store you know, a year and a half ago, and today we got another order. Yeah. <laughs> and it's still working, and people are still using it because we had it so that you could pull up out front and we'd bring it out to your car. Right. Or we'd deliver it. But there was a fence. You just throw it over the fence. I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so um, with those two things happening all at the same time, we were frightened what would happen to our business that people would be afraid to come out. But what we found was the opposite thing happened. Yeah. People wanted to get out. And luckily, we didn't have to close. Yeah. You know, in Virginia, they didn't make us close our business. So what we did is we just went in and took out chairs so that we had social distancing, so that we were safe. Um, You know, our employees wore masks. And we asked our customers, please do not touch cigars. And it's kind of unethical anyway to do that. But we just said, please don't touch. You know, look, but don't touch. Right. And we'll help you in any way we can. We use rubber gloves. You know, we were just very careful. But what we found was people still wanted that social interaction. Yeah, for sure. And our business grew during COVID. Yeah. And is continuing to grow to this day. And, you know, we're now at a point where, you know, sales are up, but also we have invested significantly in the shop. Mm -hmm. I think we have over 125,000 sticks now in inventory in the shop. Jeez. You know, at a time when people just wanted that Still wanted that interaction. Yeah, because you get all the social interaction taken away from you. So it's nice to have a place where you're safe and they're taking all the precautions and you could still have that social interaction. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we had a lot of customers that, you know, were afraid and I get it, you know, and they didn't come. 
but we had a lot of others who just really wanted that, you know, that connection. Yeah. So I was happy we were able to provide it. That's amazing. So let's jump into how did you, do you remember your first cigar? This is a question from one of my Instagram followers. Do you remember your first cigar and do you still smoke that cigar? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my first cigar was one I stole from my grandfather's (laughs) stash. How old were you? (laughs) I don't know. I was not very old. I'm sure I was not 10 yet. (laughs) I could have been. I mean, I could have been, but I was very young and... My grandfather smoked Swisher Sweet cigars, and so I commandeered one and, and uh, used it to go fishing or something. Yeah. And commandeered a few, I'm sure, over the years, but that was my first cigar. And I uh, haven't had a Swisher Sweet in a lot of years. Yeah. But it was actually kind of thrilling. We got to go on a, on a uh, cigar factory tour. Actually, right when COVID was starting, the February right before COVID, oh right, we were in uh, the Dominican doing a cigar tour, and we got to drive by and see the Swisher Sweets factory. Yes, that's <laughs> so I cool. And I thought my grandfather should own a part of that, right? Because <laughs> he helped build that factory. That's amazing. I need uh, my brother Cody to come on and tell the story. <laughs> oh, of that trip, yeah, of you that do. trip. That's insane. Uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. And so that's really where I started, you know, was, you know, I was in my, you know, mid to late 20s, you know, working for a newspaper magazine and in social gatherings, you know, it was acceptable then. Right. And so that's really where I got hooked on smoking fine cigars. Yeah. Was it really more you would smoke just socially or did you pick up on it or you would want to smoke at home? Oh yeah, lounges. Did you go then? No, I really didn't go to lounges much. It was more at uh, at social gatherings, but also at home. You know, just enjoying a cigar, you know, on the back deck or, you know, with family. You know, my grandfather. I'd go visit in Pennsylvania. In fact, that's one of the shops that really got me hooked. Is one in my hometown. You know, there's a cigar shop that's still there to this day, and those guys were great. In Montoursville. It's actually in Williamsport, Williamsport, right next to Mentorsville. Okay. Yeah. There's the cigar shop, and I don't remember the name of it, but I know how to get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always remember that. Yep. So how often do you smoke now? Uh, not as often as I like right now. Yeah. I'm uh, actually working in uh, higher education. I help uh, colleges and universities develop growth plans for them and implement them. So. I'm traveling so much and so busy, I just don't get that much time. Right, yeah. So So do you have a favorite cigar right now? I don't know. I wouldn't say I have just one favorite. Right. And I think that's the beauty of cigars, really. Just keep trying different ones. You, yeah. I mean, my go-to is, you know, usually a Fuente. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's so many Fuentes I love, but... You know, Perdomo makes a lot of good cigars. Padron, in my opinion, is one of the best and most consistent cigars made. Right. You know, and there's just such a wide variety that that's the beauty of the business, you know. Yeah. I mean, I I think we've got close to 500 facings in the shop, and that's what, you know. You got to try them all. Yeah, if you don't, you know, you never get bored. Yeah. Is there any cigar that you know of that you haven't smoked that you really want to? 
Not that I can think of. Not that I can think of. Uh, you know, there's... I can smoke anything I want, yeah, I guess. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I got a lot of friends that bring me Cubans and, you know, all that. But quite honestly, me personally, I don't... I don't see the sizzle in the Cuban market. You yeah. Know? I, I, I think that there's so many great cigars being made, you know, worldwide in all kinds of places. Yeah. That I don't think the Cuban cigar has the uh, has the premium that it did at one time. Right. I think people would just want them the most in the U.S. because they're illegal. Yeah. Here. We want them because <laughs> we can't have them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the American way. Right. What about lounges? Are there any lounges that you've heard of that you really want to visit? Yeah, I'd say there's probably a number of lounges. You know, I haven't spent a lot of time, you know, going to a lot of different lounges. You know, when I travel, I like to go. Uh, I did a lot with my dad and, you know, my partner, Rick. You know, we visited a lot of lounges. We did it really before we opened the shop because we wanted to get a feel for you know, what we liked and what we didn't like. Right. And so we visited a lot of places. But, you know, there's, uh, yeah, I'd like to f- find the top ten lounges and go see, and see if they compare to ours. Yes. That would be great. I heard this, like, a from one of my other podcasters, they said there's a lounge in Dubai that mm. it just looks like everything is glass, crystal, mm. when you're walking through it. I yeah. want to visit that one. <laughs> So who else in the family smokes cigars right now? Well, there's obviously you and your brother and Yeah. We've got uh some nephews, some cousins and right. cousins' wives that are very avid cigar smokers. Um but you know, the interesting thing, you know, when we especially when we talk about family history. Right. You know, we first when we started we talked about the Ott family history and how, you know, we started back in the you know, 1864, we were making cigars. But the interesting thing about your side of the family, your mother's side of the family, is your great-grandmother was Cuban. Yeah. And your great-grandmother came from Cuba. Her father brought cigars from Cuba to open a shop in Miami. Now, we're talking around 1900, probably, I don't know how long ago it was, but it was a long time ago. And that's, I've never really, you know, researched that side of the family. But, you know, you're about one-eighth at least Cuban. I knew it. (laughs) I knew it was in my blood. (laughs) So what about pipes? You said that my great-grandfather smoked pipes. Did Did you ever smoke a pipe? Did Pap ever smoke a pipe? Well, I've tried it. I'm just, I, I really need better instruction. You know, I, I love a pipe. I love the smell of a pipe, but yeah. I've never really gotten the hang of it, you know, and I yeah. really, I really want to. And, you know, we do a lot of business at the shop in pipes and yeah. pipe tobacco. So it's a big part of our business. I've just never been able to master it. Right. You know, but the funny thing is you're, you know, my great grandfather, your great great grandfather, always smoked a pipe. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. As a kid, I remember going to his house, and he was, you know, like I said, he lived to be ninety six, but we would go there when he was ninety, and we'd go visit him, 
and he would sit in his chair and tell stories, and oh, that was the best thing in the world to go there and listen to him tell stories about the olden days. You know, I don't know if you even know this. He was a vet. Oh, yeah. And back then, there was no licensing. Wow, yeah. You just said, I'm a vet. <laughs> and you I were know a vet, animals, yeah. You know, and so all the local farmers would call him to come, you know, oh take care gosh. of their animals. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And so, but what was so funny, he's 90 years old and he's sitting in his chair and he's got his pipe and he always had this cardigan sweater. Always wore a cardigan sweater. Every time I remember going there, he had this sweater on, and he always had those little butterscotch candies that we used to love to eat (laughs) when we'd go there. But he would sit there with his pipe, and he had this real special pipe lighter. And your brother has one that he found at an antique store. Oh, wow. And it's a lighter that you pull it apart to light it, but it has a hole in the bottom. And so when you draw on the pipe, it pulls the flame down through the bottom to light your pipe. Ooh. And so he always had that lighter. And he would sit there while he was telling stories, and he would pack that pipe, and he'd get the pipe all packed, and then he would get that lighter out. Well, as he got older, he would shake, you know. Yeah. I don't, he might have had Parkinson's or something. Yeah. But he would light that lighter and he would sit there with his both of his hands shaking, and he's trying to line up the flame <laughs> with, with the pipe. And it took him forever to get that thing lit. And as he's lighting it, and he's, his hand's shaking, ashes are falling onto his sweater. He would sit there, and he'd have burn holes all in his sweater. <laughs> but he would not stop smoking his pipe. <laughs> Wait, so the flame came out of the bottom? Oh, yeah, the flame comes out of the bottom Was of the there a... There's a flame at the top. top. So like for cigars. Yeah. The flame at the top was just for cigars and the bottom was for pipe. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Do they still make those? Uh, I don't think so. Why? Uh, I don't know, but your brother has one. Okay. And he actually restored it, you know, so that it would work. So really cool lighter. Wow. And, uh. But yeah, he uh, even though he almost set himself on fire, he still (laughs) smoked his pipe. So, Pap smoked a pipe too and pap had his own blend at city place right and at pap cigar company yeah he sure did he would he would take you know various tobaccos and mix them together and created what was called pap's blend and so yeah he was an avid pipe smoker and he actually knew how to do it (laughs) i just never never taught you no i never got him to teach me unfortunately I know. I wanted him to teach me how he made his peanut butter fudge, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best. I know. So I see you're smoking another cigar. What are you smoking now? It's the Valador by Rocky Patel. Ah, yeah. Well, you know the story of that cigar? No. What? You don't, really? No. (laughs) That was actually your grandfather's favorite cigar. That's what I thought. Yeah. That was by far his favorite. Wow. But the interesting story about that cigar, unfortunately, they don't make it anymore. Oh, my gosh. But actually, it's a cigar that I helped create with Rocky Patel. Wow. For one of my customers. What? Yeah, I was working for the National Rifle Association. Right. And we said, we need a NRA cigar. So we came up with the name Valador. Valador in Spanish, means defender, protector. Oh. And that's what that means. So we 
visited a number of cigar manufacturers and finally settled on Rocky because they were willing to work with us and help us create that cigar. Wow. And create that blend. When was that? Oh, boy. That was in the early 90s, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So, unfortunately, it's not made today, but we still have a few left over. That's crazy. Yeah. So you created it for a customer? Is that what you said? Yeah, the customer was the National Rifle Association. Oh, okay. And it was the official cigar of the NRA. Got it. And so Rocket Patel sold it through retail markets. And I don't know how many we sold, but a couple hundred thousand. It yeah. was a it was a real popular cigar at the time. Did Chuck Norris ever smoke them? I don't know. I know he's <laughs> I Chuck Norris has been to our farm, right? Our well, old farm? No, he's not been to our farm, oh. but I've been shooting with Chuck before. Wow. So way back That's in crazy. the early days. <laughs> well, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming on and telling our family history. I know a lot of my listeners have been waiting for this and very interested in how I got into cigars, and obviously it's in my blood. <laughs> so tell everybody where we can find Pap Cigar Company. Yeah, we're on Facebook, Instagram. Our website is Pap Cigar Co. It's not the full word company. Right. It's Pap Cigar Co. dot com. Perfect. And if you want to see the lounge, you want to see the humidor we built. And yes. in fact, I think there's some pictures of the private lounge in there too. So perfect. And it's 817 Main Street, downtown Lynchburg, Virginia. All right. Well, that is it for my family history on my dad's side. Now another story from my mom's side of the family. Here is my grandfather. Hope you all enjoy. All right. What do you know about family history? About family history? Yeah. Well, my grandfather, who was born in Spain, his family moved to Cuba when he was five years old. They owned a very large banana plantation in Cuba. Of course, the Spanish-American War came through there and caused havoc to everything in that area back in those days. And my great-grandfather got shot and killed, and my grandfather got shot in the side. He was 17 years old. He decides to get out of there and went to New York City. In New York City, he met my grandmother, who was from Ireland. And she and my grandfather later on moved to Tampa, Florida, where my mother was born in 1906. Now, Tampa, back in the early 1900s, was well known for cigars, things like the Tampa Nugget cigars. A lot of the cigars that were still on the market today were started in the Tampa area. But because my mother had such bronchial trouble, the doctor recommended that she, they move to another climate. Well, they moved to Jacksonville, Florida for a while. But that's where the St. Johns River comes up through, so that wasn't going to work for her bronchitis. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then the doctor recommended that they move to Miami, which they did in 1912. 
Now, his cigar business, he started with a store downtown Miami as a factory making the Crespo cigars. So when he started his cigar company in Miami, they had just finished the railroad going from Miami to Key West in 1912. So the first load of tobacco to come out of Key West to Miami was my grandfather's for him and his company there in Miami. Remember what it's called? Cigar, the cigar company was Crespo Cigars. Oh, yeah. And that's about the extent of my knowledge on that part of his story. Yeah. He ended up dying in uh, Nassau in uh, the late 1930s. That's where he's buried. And uh, that's uh, how his life, which was pretty interesting. I never did meet him, but his... uh, his love for the water was out of this world. They lived on a houseboat, and they, um, but he got seasick very, very easily <laughs> to love the water as much as he did. But he had to live next to the water. And uh, Miami was a very small town, but because of the railroad, when Flagler finally put the railroad down from West Palm Beach to Miami, it brought a lot more people to Miami. And he had a very good friend from Cuba that was a builder. And they did not have places to rent very much in Miami at that time. So my dad's friend built him a house off of Biscayne Boulevard, which is US-1, close to the Miami News Building, which is now the Freedom Tower. Which was uh, that was the the start of his endeavors there in Miami, except for living on a houseboat. Then they finally had to tear down that house because they wanted to put a railroad through there, and you can still that railroad's still there today. Yeah. It's uh, it's more of a uh, a working railroad. It delivers things more than it's uh, a transportation railroad for for. Uh, which is a few blocks away, but that part of it was an offshoot of the main Florida East Coast Railroad system. So that's his story, and that's uh, going way back. Yeah. Where was his shop? It was a factory, and it was on Miami Avenue, as far as I can remember my mother telling me. Yeah. It was on Miami Avenue which is one block off of Flagler Street, which is the main drag in Miami, and still is. Did anybody else in our family smoke cigars? Never. Never? Never. Nobody that I ever knew. Uh, My dad and mom both smoked cigarettes, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I never, cigars were something that we, we never saw anything of. Yeah. Did you ever smoke them? A little bit. Not much. A little bit. I worked for a cigar and tobacco company right out of high school called Eli Witt Cigar and Tobacco Company. Where was that? It was in Miami. Okay. And we, uh, they were out of Tampa. And uh, I can still remember the price of Tampa Nugget cigars. A, ba- a box of 50. Wholesale price. A box of 50 was two ninety nine a box. Oh, my gosh. 
King Edward Cigars was a Tampa Nugget Cigars was the number one seller in yeah. South Florida, number one seller cigar. The number two seller was King Edward Cigars. They were two dollars and thirty five cents a box of fifty. Yeah. And then of course we had the uh, Cuban cigars, and they were a lot more expensive, and they were uh, more of a special order. Oh yeah. Back in the fifties. Uh, than uh, than the American-made cigars. Was it just a shop, or was it? Could you smoke in there? Was it lounge, or just take it and go? We sold them wholesale all over the all over the South Florida. Okay. We sold them to cigar shops. Right. Okay. Drug stores. Yeah. Uh, along with cigarettes, along with paper cups, along with napkins, along with all kinds of different things that a a drugstore or a pharmacy or a restaurant would would use. Uh, We sold a lot of cigarettes. Cigarettes were our number one seller. Uh, So that was what Eli Witt's Cigar Tobacco Company was known for, selling, smoking tobacco, chewing tobacco, of course, pipe tobacco. The cigars were uh, a big part of it, and as I say, the Tampa Nugget cigars were the number one seller wow. for two ninety nine a box wholesale. And fifty in a box. Fifty in a box. <laughs> Amazing. Yep. Then then some of the more expensive cigars had twenty five in a box, but fifty in the box was uh, the average for most. I can't remember all the names of the of the cigars back then. But most of them that I that we sold back in those days, you still see in the market today. Yeah. Uh, King Edward, as I say, was probably one of the cheaper cigars. And then you had have a Tampa Jewels, the little smaller cigar, had a wooden tip on the end of it. Perfecto cigars, I can't remember the name of all of those. Uh, I'd have to. There's, as I say, there's, they're still on the stands today because I still see them. Yeah. As I say, the, 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 the we also sold um, cigarettes that were made in Cuba too, and they were very, very, very strong. Oh wow. Very strong. Didn't sell a lot of them, but they were very strong. What about pipe tobacco. Pipe tobacco sold a lot of that. Uh, Prince Edward. Oh yeah. Um, was probably the number one seller at that time. Then there was chewing tobacco. There was yeah. the plug. There was the mail pouch, What's which that? is still mail pouch is a brand. It's okay. still on the market today. Wow. Uh, they were uh, they were large sellers. Uh, we sold a lot of cigarette paper. People rolled their own oh, with the right. with Prince Edward and. Uh, and Granger, Granger was a pipe tobacco stunk. Oh, it stunk something terrible out of a pipe. <laughs> uh, but there was some good aroma uh, uh, tobacco also, and uh, we sold a lot of that. That was something that was uh, very popular. Uh, back, you got to remember, back in the fifties, everybody smoked. Yeah, everybody smoked. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, they didn't have the label on the side, you know, warning. This yeah. could be hazardous to your health, and it was uh, it was something that everybody did, and a lot of pipe smokers. 
Yeah. We had a, we sold a lot of pipes. Did you ever smoke a pipe? I smoked a pipe for a while. I could never get used to it because it burnt my tongue so bad. Yeah, it makes it numb. It burnt my tongue, and I never <laughs> did. Uh, I liked it. It was all right, mm-hmm. but uh, I never did uh, stick with it like yeah. I did. It's hard to keep up with it, too. You have to keep lighting it and everything. Keeping it lit, you had to know how to keep it lit. Uh, the more a pipe got broken in, mm-hmm. the less it bit you. Yeah. Uh, a crusty old pipe on the inside was the best, mm. you know, the best yeah. pipe when it was got a little crusty on the inside. It was, uh, uh, it was, uh, you didn't see pipe smokers cleaning out their pipe all the time because the crustier it got, the better, oh. the better it tasted. You know? Oh, right, yeah. So those are little things that I remember. Uh, so is any of our family from Cuba? Is it Spain? No. My grandfather was, uh, as I say, born in Spain. Mm-hmm. And they family moved to Cuba. Oh, okay. And uh, eight, 18, I don't know, 1880-something, probably somewhere in that neighborhood. His good friend in Miami, he, my mother can remember him telling her one time that they, he says, you know, your dad's parents had one of the largest banana plantations in the state, in the whole Cuba area. Wow. And, uh, of course, the Spanish-American War burned all that down, oh. uh, shot him and killed him, my great-grandfather, while he was riding a horse, Aww. shot him off his horse. As I say, my granddad was shot and uh, decided to, to get out of there. But that's, that's it. Thank you to my dad and my poppy for sharing these stories. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. But definitely stay tuned for more about this once I do my own research maybe go on Ancestry myself and hunt down more and learn more, Um, especially now hearing both sides of the story from my family that I may have some Cuban in me, I may not, but either way, now I know exactly why the tobacco industry and cigar community feels so comfortable to me, like this is where I belong. Thank you for listening, everyone. I'll talk to you soon.